0: Well, peace be with you. Well, as Martin said, uh, my name is Carlos, and I am uh, the lead uh, planting pastor of Sojourn East End. Um, If you have no idea where that's at, uh, that's basically uh, east, southeast of downtown all the way down to the 610. Uh, loop. Uh, my wife and I are uh, grateful to be here with you guys. Uh, I was telling a brother earlier that uh, coming back to Sojourn Heights is much like visiting your parents, uh, your parents' house after you've been away to college for several years. You come back and you say, this is home, but the furniture is a bit rearranged and moved away, uh, around. So uh, it's always a privilege for us to come back uh, to the place where uh, God did a lot of um, awesome and powerful things in, uh, in our life. And so, as Martin said, we've been in this series in the book of, uh, in the gospel of Luke, I'm sorry, in the gospel of John, uh, where we've been following along as the gospel of John uh, traces a series of miracles, or uh, John calls them signs, right, performed by Jesus. We saw water turned into wine. We've uh, seen a dying boy revived. We've seen the lame walk. We saw the hungry abundantly fed. We saw the blind given sight. And today we see the dead raised. And so if you would, uh, before we begin, bow your head and pray with me. Father, we come before you uh, in need of you. Um, We come before you acknowledging that your word is alive, that your word is active and powerful. Um, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so what we need today is for your word, which is already living and active to cause our hearts to come alive. So uh, as, as we uh, listen to your word and as I preach, would you give me the words to speak and would you give us the ears to hear what you have to say today and would Jesus become more precious to us through this text? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so everyone in this room under the, the sound of my voice, uh, at some point in their life, has asked this question of what uh, theologians and philosophers call theodicy, right? If God is good and in control of all things, why does he allow evil and suffering in the world, right? And this question gets to the very heart of our human condition in the world and our human response in times of suffering, pain, and of loss, No one under uh, um, the sound of my voice today is excluded from ever having asked this question or a variation of this question, God, where were you when blank happened? You've simply made the statement and not asked the question, but you've said something like, God, if you would have answered my prayer, blank would not have happened. Suffering has the power to bring to the surface our most complex questions, our most complex wrestles. And doubts. And today, we're in a text of Scripture where we find two disciples of Jesus, right? Martha and Mary make a similar kind of statement in their grief and in their confusion. God, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. And so this morning, as we take a dive into this chapter, we could honestly find a multitude of gems and a multitude of lessons here. But what I believe the Lord wants to remind all of us here, myself included, is of one key and fundamental truth that if it settles deep within our soul can strengthen us to walk through the deepest forms of suffering. And it's this, that what we know about God, not what we understand about God is ultimately what gets us through suffering, pain, and loss when God doesn't make sense to us. In other words, we can trust his character when we don't understand his actions. We can trust his character when we don't understand his actions, And so uh, let's begin. And to start, let me give us some context so we can understand the content uh, and appreciate the content here first. Uh, as we just read, Lazarus, uh, the, the brother of Mar- uh, Mar- uh, Martha and Mary, was sick. Uh, sick to the point where Martha and Mary thought he might die, right? And so what do these sisters do? Martha and Mary send a message to Jesus asking him to come so that he could perform a miracle of healing, right? And we've met uh, them before in, in the Gospel of Luke as well. We, we've heard uh, uh, Jesus uh, uh, talk about Martha and Mary, or talk to them. But and we do know a couple of things about these two women. Martha was a diligent hostess who, who kept the perfect home and served Jesus but essentially ignored him in an intimate relationship with him. And Mary was the the dependent younger sister who always sat at the feet of Jesus, but not necessarily serving him with her hands and her feet, just to be near him and just to enjoy him. So Martha and Mary have been witnesses up to this point to many miracles that Jesus has Perform. So they know what he's capable of. They've even seen and witnessed and heard of Jesus healing people who were not even in his general vicinity. People who were miles away. They, they know the power that Jesus possesses. And so they sent for him to come. And here's what's, what's extremely odd and illogical as we, as we start this text to the, to the human way of thinking. We, we read that when Jesus found out, he says in verse 4, this illness is not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. But then it says that he waited two more days before heading out to see Lazarus, right? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe some of you here are, are super spiritual and have uh, never been to a, a, through a situation where it causes you to ask God, what are you doing? But uh, I, can, I can place myself in the shoes of Mary and Martha as we continue this text, as they find out and, and connect the puzzle pieces together to know that Jesus delayed a couple of more days to arrive at Bethany. And I bet in, in their deep grief over losing their beloved brother Lazarus, we're in utter confusion. And here's the reality. If, if you've been walking with Jesus or have been a disciple of Jesus for any period of time. You've come face to face with with this kind of situation in your relationship with God. Sometimes it seems he delays in situations that to our human way of thinking simply don't make any sense. They're illogical, right? But that's just it. God's moves sometimes don't make sense to us. The Bible is filled with stories of God doing things in ways that challenge or even completely go against human logic. Because we know that God is not confined to our finite ways of thinking, our intellect. He did create us in his image, and so our minds are created in his image, and so we are created to reason and to use logic and to use sense, but always remembering that his, his mind is infinite and his ways are far above ours. And so we also struggle with this, right? We we. We can probably remember a, a situation in our mind right now where we've been in deep grief and deep pain, and, and, and the word, uh, the question uh, has come out of our mouth, Lord, why? And we know the, the Bible answer to that. We know the Sunday school answer to that, right? We know the Sojourn Academy, to put it in our context, answer of that, right, which is that God does all things for our good and for his glory, all right? We've heard that many times. We've maybe recited it a million times if we've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time. However, it's easy to hear this this fundamental truth in seasons of ease, right? In seasons of comfort, of joy. It's easy to recite this answer in a catechism class with boldness as you step up and stand up and recite the correct answer. But it's not the easiest thing to do when grief is mingled with the question of why. God, where were you when blank happened? The reality is that Martha and Mary's reaction here was a response from deep and raw grief and confusion. They asked this question of Jesus himself in person. Martha first in verse 21 and then Mary in verse uh, 32. Let me read uh, read them for us. Beginning in verse 20, it says, so then Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary in verse 32, now when Mary came to to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exact same thing. We can be so prone to read these kinds of texts like, uh, uh, like these without placing ourselves in the shoes of those saying it. But I can imagine if I place myself in the shoes of Mary and Martha that there was, there was this grief mingled with confusion yet still believing that Jesus is in control of all things and still believing that Jesus is Lord of all things. What can you imagine being Martha or Mary here? Martha, who is so often the rule follower, kind of does a, or, or, or breaks with Jewish custom of remaining in the home for a set period of time for mourning purposes and instead runs out of her house to go meet Jesus as she gets word that he's entering Bethany. So the rule follower says, away with the custom. I need to go and ask Jesus this question. I need to run to where Jesus is at. She cares more about running to Jesus and asking him why he didn't arrive earlier than obeying this cultural custom at that very moment because her grief is that real. And most of us, if not all of us have been in a situation similar. Am I right? When maybe Christianese language, churchy cliches and cute quotes cease to satisfy. And we run directly to the feet of Jesus asking him all the questions that come out of our grief. Yet there's hope here. There's there's faith and there's hope even in Martha's heart. As we continue reading in verse 22, Martha says this, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. So these two women come to Jesus with their deep grief, with their confusion of his delay. Yet at least Martha shows that even in this disorienting pain, Of loss, she knows that with just one word, with even just one thought, Jesus can change the entire situation radically. These women ran to the feet of Jesus with their grief, with their confusion, yes, even their questions. But what happens when we, instead of doing this, instead of running to Jesus with these questions, instead of allowing Jesus to deal with our pain and our suffering and our loss, what if instead of doing this, we leave those things? unaddressed in our hearts and in our minds. And maybe allow the lingering question to remain in the back of our mind. Allow the the deep-seated pain and the grief that is unaddressed to remain in our hearts. Well, simply put, pain and confusion unaddressed can lead to many things, right? But it can lead to uh, three primary things that I want uh, to highlight today. Pain and confusion unaddressed can lead to to stuffing pain and, and hiding in plain sight. Um, let me let me tell a story to uh, kind of illustrate this. Uh, I was recently having lunch with uh, a new friend of mine, a, a, uh, an aspiring church planter, and uh, he was telling me a story about. Uh, he was telling me a story of uh, uh, that he read in a book, and so this story goes a little like this. It, it was a, it, it was a a two children, two brothers playing outside. And one of them gets a splinter in his finger and says, ouch. And so he runs to his dad immediately and he says, dad, uh, my, I hurt my finger. I don't know what's going on, but I hurt my finger. So his dad looks at it and says, it's a splinter. So he gets some, uh, some um, you know, he, he, he essentially takes tweezers. tweezers. There you go. Sorry, my mind went blank. Takes some tweezers and, and, and takes the splinter out. Well, when he takes the splinter out, he screams in pain and he says, that hurt. If I knew that was going to hurt that bad, I wouldn't have run to you is what he thought. So he goes back and plays with his brother. And then on another day, the following week, he gets another splinter in his finger. But this time he doesn't run to his father immediately because he says, I remember the pain that I felt when he removed the splinter with the tweezers. And so he, he keeps it under wraps. He doesn't tell his father and he continues to go about his days and then his weeks and then one day, randomly, his brother passes by him and kind of brushes up against his hand and brushes up against that wounded finger. By then, that finger had gotten infected and at that moment, he lets out a loud scream and gets angry at his brother. Isn't it true that when we're wounded when we are deeply in pain or we have unaddressed issues in our life. Something that is not meant to anger or disrupt or offend us, a mere brush can upset us. And so this is the situation with this little boy. He he screams out in pain because of this infected finger. And so his dad hears him, comes outside and says, son, what's going on? And he doesn't want to tell him. Finally, he does. So when his dad pulls out that splinter from that infected finger, now it hurts 20 times more simply because of the delay. Pain and confusion unaddressed can lead to deep wounds where we begin to function out of these wounds and little things like brushes up against our finger that should in no way hurt or harm us begin to harm us because we view things through the lenses of that pain. And what does that cause? It can cause anger as well, right? pain and grief unresolved can turn into to anger something isn't right with the world i didn't get justice or what i thought i deserved or wanted i didn't get at and so now i'm mad and i unknowingly at times are taking it out i'm taking it out on those around me but ultimately anger when it loses its fire and it's just fuming can turn to depression and apathy We've kind of given up. See, I, I remember this is all too uh, similar or all too um, close and near to, to my heart. Uh, several years ago, um, as I was walking through kind of prepping for being a church planter and uh, going through uh, a variety of things like the finishing residency with HCPN, counseling uh, here with Dodds, and, and doing some soul work through the residency uh, I found that, that there were some things within me that needed some healing. Uh, I found that I was viewing some of the things in my life through the lenses of some unresolved deep pain from, from childhood trauma. And, and the reality is, brothers and sisters, that all of us to some extent or another, even if you grew up in a, in a healthy home with a dad and a mom who loved you to death, have experienced some form of Trauma, some form of deeply painful situations as you grew up that caused you to say, that kind of person I could never trust. Or I never want to be in that situation ever again. And you see, after I, uh, after I brought those things to the surface and dealt with my childhood pains and wounds, it actually gave me eyes to see that, the, that I was viewing a lot of things through the lenses of that pain. That's when I realized that uh, the, the reason why I've, I have dealt with uh, depression and anxiety throughout my life, though I didn't know it was called depression and anxiety, I just thought it was normal for people to deal with those things. That's when I began to see the reality of what was taking place. But, but here's the good news in this, that even when I was not aware of these things going on, Even when we aren't aware of these things going on in our life, God is always at work. God is always gracious to be a good shepherd to us and to bring these things to the surface so that we can deal with our pain. Even when we don't sense him, even when we don't see him work, God is always actively at work in your life. If you are a Christian in this room and you've placed your faith in Christ as Lord and as Savior, even though it might be it might feel utterly dark right now. The truth of God's character is that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the truth of God's character is that He's working even at this moment when you might not see it. We can trust His character when we don't understand His actions. Why will? Well, then we have to look at Jesus's identity, right? We have to look at Jesus's character and Jesus's response to our pain. So let me read verses 23 through 26. And then I'll read 33 through 40 when we see Jesus responding. It says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So Jesus is responding here to Martha. As Martha just said, if you would have been here, he would not have died. But even now, I know that uh, God listens to you and whatever word you say, God will do and will give you what you ask. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And check out Martha's uh, Sunday school answer in verse 24. It says, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then in verse 33, Jesus saw her weeping, sees Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping and says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and he said where have you laid him they said to him lord come and see and jesus wept for so the Jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he he, he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So Jesus, to start, he he assures Mary and Martha in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the pain that he's in control. And he says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. See, I'm sure, maybe, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I, I speculate that, that maybe Martha and Mary had heard all of the Sunday school answers up to that point. Maybe she had heard one day you'll see your brother again. One day Lazarus will resurrect in the final resurrection. And so, and so it seems as if she thought that's what Jesus was talking about, right? She says, I know that he'll rise in the last resurrection. That's not helping me right now. Jesus responds with, I am the resurrection and the life. See, Jesus doesn't just offer resurrection and and life, brothers and sisters. Jesus doesn't just point to uh, this thing, uh, this resurrection and life, as if it were somehow outside of Himself. Jesus is assuring Martha and Mary and assures us today through His Word that He is the source, He is the resurrection and the life. There's a fundamental difference between being just a messenger of something and being the source of it and Jesus wants to remind Mary and Martha Jesus wants to remind us today that he is the source of hope that he is the source of resurrection and life other religions leaders that we've, read, that we've read about in history are messengers of a, uh, of a God, a transcendent God that doesn't care to step into the pains of this world. Jesus is the complete opposite. Jesus is God coming into mankind saying, I am the hope of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not just pointing to it. I'm the source. Verses 33 and 35 if you have an ESV or anything similar, it doesn't quite do justice to what's going on here. Uh, Jesus uh, was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, it says in uh, our translations. But English doesn't really do justice to the true meaning here found uh, in the Greek. So if you allow me uh, to go a bit further in, into this uh, uh, phrase, it actually means to be moved with anger, to admonish sternly. The origin, it comes from two Greek words put together. It, 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 it means to snort with anger. So what was Jesus angry about? What was Jesus snorting in anger, as it were, about? What was he moved with so much anger and admonishing sternly about within his spirit? We could say that it was because of the lack of faith, maybe, in those around him. That's a, that's a possibility, but I... I doubt it as I I was looking at this text and studying this text and seeing the the, the context and seeing what other uh, great men of the faith have said about this. it's, it's, It's as if Jesus in the presence of mankind's greatest foe, death, his hackles go up in righteous anger because of the pain and the suffering that death brought about by sin entering the world, has caused those whom he deeply loves. See, brothers and sisters, what God wants to remind us of here today, I don't know where you're at in life right now. I don't know if some of you are in a very comfortable, joyful, happy season, or whether you're here barely hanging on for dear life. What I know is that God is not indifferent in your suffering. He hates it. Jesus, when he was presented before his greatest, or mankind's greatest foe, his hackles go up. Because he knew that one day he would go toe to toe with this enemy of those whom he deeply loves and do away with death once and for all. We know that death is inescapable. We know that for us as human beings, at some point or another, our number will be called and our earthly death awaits us. But Jesus reminds us that Jesus defeated death. He raises Lazarus, Lazarus to physical life, but soon after, he would walk towards his own death in the place of spiritually dead people, that's us, and then rise from the grave so he could give us spiritually dead people life. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 reminds us of that, doesn't it? Jesus died and rose to raise spiritually dead people to life. He triumphed over sin and over Satan and over death. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer in this room, no amount of suffering, no amount of pain, however deep and serious it is, Is as serious as spiritual death. And Jesus, through his word, is telling us today, I have defeated your greatest foe so you can trust me and the deepest forms of suffering that you will walk through, that you're currently walking through, well, that you have walked through, that you still need to address within your heart. You don't need to be scared of what comes out because I I have defeated your greatest foe. And really this is something that, that, that has been his glorious plan all along. Right? We're reminded of the prophecy that God gave to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, when we see Ezekiel speaking of a vision where God breathes life into dry bones. And if you're a believer in this room, this is at one point what he did for you. Spiritually dead, without hope dead in our sins and our trespasses, as Ephesians 2 also tells us. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ, saving us by grace, preparing us for good works. This is the God that you serve and that I serve, the one who's defeated our greatest foe. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, right? But He's come to make dead people live. So, brothers and sisters, as we, as we close out today, as we uh, remember the, the power of Jesus found in this chapter to raise physical men to life, remember and rejoice in the fact that you, at one point, were spiritually dead and God brought you to spiritual life. And has promised you that he hates your suffering just as much. No, way more than you do. And he's with you. He's near to you. In those times when he hears you say, God, why? Because what we know to be true about God found in the gospel. And what we know to be true about what he says about us. Not what we understand about him. Is ultimately what gets us through seasons of suffering when he doesn't make sense to us. Brothers and sisters, today you can trust his character when you don't understand his actions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are gracious, God, that you are good, that you are abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. Jesus, thank you that you're not indifferent to our pain, to our loss, to our confusion and grief. God, we find so much uh, encouragement to know that in the In the face of death, your hackles went up. But not only that, you went up to the cross and you stood toe-to-toe with death and you defeated it. Therefore, death no longer has a hold of us. Death has lost its sting. So we ask that you would remind us, Lord, through this powerful truth that you are near to us, that you are with us, that if you've defeated our greatest foe, you can certainly walk us through Some of our deepest pains. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.